welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Hello, and welcome to the Mile 99 interview. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Turner. The Mile 99 is a place to hang out with our like-minded folks in our trail community, share our stories and our successes and our failures, and even our deepest trail secrets. This is also a place to get the latest in local race news, race updates, just to kind of find out what's going on in our community. We record in front of a live Zoom audience. I see you guys down there. Thanks for being here. One take, no breaks. You know, unlike the trails, what's said here is actually recorded. It's on the record. I'm joined by my co-host, Jessica Harris and Greg Larkin. Hey, Greg, how you doing? Doing all right. Um, yeah, I just uh, spent last weekend over in Marin pacing our friend Karen. She uh, finished the Headlands 100, uh, so she was really excited about that. Had an interesting start at 8 o'clock on a Friday night, so she actually got two overnight uh, shifts during that one, so that was really uh, impressive for her. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm trying to get back out there, get my mileage built up. Um, but I also just want to take a quick minute and just kind of acknowledge some of uh, what's been going on lately. Um, you know, I think maybe a lot of us saw the news that someone lost their life in a fall uh, during one of the races at the, the UTMB event, the, the TDS uh, from Czech, uh, Czech Republic. Um, so, you know, this is a community that we have here and it extends beyond our borders, it extends around the world. And I'm sure many of us would join in just sending our hearts out to, you know, that person's family and friends and, and everyone else that was affected. Um, and on top of that, you know, in our own area, we're, we're struggling with wildfires and, you know, short staffed on our first, uh, first responders and, and all the things they must be going through. So, you know, we hope that uh, this will all resolve soon, but uh, we know we have a little bit of a road here. And I think, you know, whatever we can do to kind of respect the, the trail closures and the forest closures and all that will just help them with that effort. So I know we can all join together in that in that way. So don't want to start off on a bad note, but I just want to kind of like let everybody know that uh, we're all thinking about them. So. So Jessica is here tonight. How are you doing, Jessica? I am good. Coming off a big weekend. Well, kind of a big weekend. I attempted a couch to 100K. I had have not run in a very long time. I made it halfway. And one of my buddies, Mike Turner, I think you know him, uh, was there uh, with me the whole way. So that was pretty awesome. I'm a huge fan of everyone, the race director, all the volunteers at Waldo. Beautiful place. We will be back. I think so. I did my first run today post Waldo. I feel good. So that was nice. I ran 32 miles, not injured, just tired, <laughs> pulled the plug and enjoyed the rest of the day and got to see a bunch of people and friends come in. So that was really awesome. So I'm streaming. We're streaming on Facebook and we have the Zoom here. So if you guys have any questions about the bear or for Reggie or for Robert, go ahead and send them our way. We also have our Patreon and we have so many new people who have joined us and we're so thankful. It's only a dollar a month. Quick shout out to everyone who has donated to us. Uh, our newest ones are Emily and EJ, Jess, Sean, Kristen, and Bob. So we are so thankful for you guys. If you guys, whoever's watching wants to donate a dollar, 
a month to us. We would super appreciate it. And you guys will always be the first ones updated um, when we have new merch and all the, the cool stuff that we have coming. Awesome. Yeah, Waldo definitely was fun. I, uh, had, I was able to get on with the sweeps, so I was loaded and ready to go. And I just, and it's a nice course. The second half is just, just meandering through the woods. I, I'd never been there. And I got to go up the Twins and also uh, Maiden Peak. And it was just the, the views. It was so nice. And it was so cool. Because, well, not. I mean, our drive, California's all on fire. We get into Oregon, Oregon's all on fire. And we're like, are we running in, in this? And then all of a sudden the sky opens up and we had this little pocket of beautiful, clear skies. And then driving home, it was even closer. It was like three miles away. And uh, so we had a, we were really lucky that we got the fresh air for two days. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was very nice. Uh, I got to go back tonight. We are very excited to talk to two of our favorite local ultra runners, Reggie White and Rob Myers. We asked them to kind of to come on the show, kind of to talk about their experiences at the 2020 bear 100 endurance race. And secretly, this show is all about me because I'm running and I want to find out some inside details. I see Brian's here. He's going to be running as well. Some other folks. So, Rob, how's it going? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, Mike. It's always fun to talk about uh, talk about the bear. So I know that I know this is totally for your benefit, but I get to enjoy it. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. We like talking about races. And uh, and Reggie, thanks for joining us. Reggie Pichet, how are you doing, man? Good, Mike. Uh, honored to be here i've watched quite a few of you guys podcasts so it's cool to be on this end and uh shout out to samantha she's in the podcast and also uh running the bear as well that's right she'll be there as well there's a lot of us going out there this year it seems like yeah so this episode is a bit different than what we typically do we're like i said we're chatting about the bear 100 it's in logan utah it's about four weeks out the the race gained some popularity last year because it was one of the few that actually happened. And that may be why a lot of folks signed up because it was kind of a guarantee. A lot of races last year, you sign up and you don't know what the story was. So that one, that's why I signed up because it happened. And also we've had over the years, had lots of local folks go there. I want to say hey to Jack Meyer, who is, he's one of our, always joins the show, but he's been out there five times and he's ran this well this year as well. So we, uh, we, we wanted to chat with these two guys because they have different perspectives and different knowledge going in, in the, into the 2020 race. Rob was one of our early guests, show eight, episode eight from July 7, 2020. And as you may recall, he's run a lot of under milers. So he has a lot of experience and he has several rounds with the bear. And Reggie is a local ultra runner that, that we all know. And his angle is different because this was his first 100 mile race. So we kind of wanted to see, you know, just look at both directions and see how they, what they expected and what they experienced and kind of wanted to see how it turned out with their different viewpoints. So before we get into this show, we had Rob on back a while back. I want to talk about Reggie and kind of get to know him a little bit. So Greg will jump in and chat with him about that kind of his early life. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So Reggie, um, you know, Love the fact that you've been on with us many times on the Zoom session. Glad to have you here tonight with, uh, along with Rob. Um, and like Mike said, you know, we did an episode with Rob a while back um, last year. And uh, yeah, we'll um, 
just want to learn a little bit more about you uh, tonight. So uh, one of the things that kind of really stuck out, I think, when we uh, got your questionnaire back um, from the, the pre-interviews, uh, the, the pre-interview questionnaire was, uh, you were a military brat. So uh, what was that like, uh, you know, in your early life? Were you just constantly moving and, and sort of the typical stories or what was, uh, what was it like back then? Uh, yeah, so pretty typical. So um, my dad was Air Force. And so I was actually born in Spain and I left there after I was four and lived in Michigan for about seven years before I came to California. Um, and then my dad got out when um, we were in California. So I've been here ever since, um, mainly in Vacaville for like 15, 20 years before I moved into Sacramento. And I've been in Sacramento for the last six years, I think. Yeah. So it wasn't quite as much of, of like, sometimes we hear stories about people moving like every year or something like that, maybe. No, no, I was fortunate. Um, it was a little more spread out. So yeah, yeah. it made it a little easier. Uh, that's yeah, that's good. I mean, I can imagine as a kid growing up, having to constantly shift around is definitely a tough thing. Um, and so, you know, throughout that period, I mean, it sounded, um, you know, again, from your questionnaire, like you got into running kind of early middle school time frame. Um, what was kind of the, 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 the backstory there? Like, were you just kind of looking for a sport? Was somebody encouraging you to try that? Like, how did you kind of land on that? Um, well, I think my parents were already always pretty supportive of, of, of running, of doing different sports, but running was probably something that I always had kind of this like fascination for, like going all the way back to when I was really young. Um, but I started organized running when I did track and field in middle school. And that kind of carried me all the way through high school, um, just mainly focusing on sprints, like hundreds, two hundreds, that type of thing. But uh, I wasn't really that fast. So once I got out of high school, um, I didn't do anything for like, I don't know, until I got into my 30s. I would run occasionally here and there, but for the most part, it was it was nothing. And then I got into my 30s and I think I just realized I needed to do something to stay in shape. And so um, I had a buddy who was doing half marathons and he would always try to get me into it. And I told him that that's that's your I, I, no I'm not doing that and so once I kind of realized I needed to do something to get in shape I kind of thought back to what he was doing he was running half marathon so like that's what I knew so that's what I signed up for and I kind of caught the bug and um yeah one thing kind of led to another uh half marathons and marathons and then trying to qualify for Boston and then meeting people which led to trail running and then it was kind of a reset as far as 50ks and then 100ks and now i'm here talking to you guys <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the trajectory for sure yeah i mean it's it's an interesting thing because i think we've had a number of guests on over the past year or more uh, that have talked about this you know, they had had some early on either running or other sports, and then they kind of dropped it. They were working on a career or they're building a family or something. And then they sort of caught to a point in their life and they just said, whoa, you know, I, I want to just change it up. I got to get back in shape. I got to do this and that. Um, so it's really interesting to me to sort of hear those types of stories and just kind of like the motivation behind it. So, I mean, was it 
did you have like a sudden thing happen or were you just sort of noticing yourself kind of going in a direction you didn't want to go that sort of started that process? Um, I think initially when I first started, it was just something to try to stay active, to kind of try to stay in shape. Cause I guess I felt like I was, I was kind of slipping a little bit as far as, you know, you know, you get into your thirties and, you know, you, you, you kind of change physically and stuff like that. So, mm. um, that's where it started. And then once I ran a race, like, you know, I think it was just a matter of, you know, road running. I think it's more about time than it is finishing. And so it was like, okay, if I can get to this time and then you get there and it's like, okay, well, if I can lower it a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, once you kind of get into marathons then it kind of became about qualifying for Boston. And so that was like, kind of a motivation that carried me for a couple of years. And then, um, yeah, I think honestly, once I got into trail running, um, I think it was more, um, just meeting people and, uh, you know, hearing about people's stories about, you know, doing this race, that race, this distance, this distance, that distance. And, um, I, you, you kind of feel like, okay, you know, um, if, if they can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think that kind of is what led me down the path to, to ultras and then, you know, longer ultras and then, you know, so on. Yeah. I totally get that. I mean, there's this sort of like fascination. I mean, I think a lot of us are very familiar, you know, with the marathon distance. I mean, it's, it's, you know, very common to hear about people doing marathons, but then you don't hear as much about, you know, 50 Ks, hundred Ks, hundred milers and beyond. And, and it just, it's this sort of like, wow, is that attainable? And then you kind of catch that bug. So it sounds like <laughs> you may have gone, gone down that uh, road a bit. Um, and, and I'm seeing here that, I mean, you ran your first 50 K in 2018, Rucka Chuck. Um, I, I might've been at that one, actually, <laughs> I'll have to go back and look. Um, nice, you know, 529, uh, great finish time. Um, you know, what is that feeling like after you've accomplished that first one? Uh, how did, how did you feel after that? Um, well, to back up a little bit, um, the first ultra I signed up for was TRT, which was the same year. And, um, I bit off more than I could chew, uh, because, um, at the time I, I figured there's a lottery. I probably won't get in anyway. And then I did get in and it totally freaked out. Um, luckily there's like a seven month gap between getting in and the race. And so, um, I think I kind of realized I probably needed to do a 50 K or two. And so I, I signed up for rocket shot and, um, Again, that was my first ultra. That was my first time ever going on Cal Street. And uh, I just remember it was like, it was raining, but it was like a perfect day. Everything was green. The water was like that perfect, like green hue. There mm. was fog in the canyon. And I just remember just thinking, man, like if this is what ultras are like, like I'm going to be doing this for a really long time. And it was just it was a really surreal experience when, when I ran that race. Um, it was, yeah. Um, that was the beginning of the journey that I'm still on right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, 2018 was a huge year for you. I mean, I'm looking through the results here and, oh gosh, I mean, we're talking like six, seven, eight races here. You've got Diablo trail challenge, 50 K and broken arrow, which is just, 
off the charts. I want to hear about Broken Arrow. What was your experience there? I haven't done it yet, but it's so appealing looking. Yeah, I definitely jumped off the deep end with Ultras, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, that was a hard race that year. I, I've always struggled with uh, Broken Arrow. Um, a lot of climbing, a lot of descending. Um, I think for me personally, um, you know, I did a lot of snowboarding at Squaw Valley and so, or Olympic Valley. And so, um, there's something about going up the hills that I used to go down on a snowboard. Um, that was really kind of strange, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really beautiful. You know, um, you do a little bit on the Western States trail, which was really cool. Um, and I think that was my first race at altitude. Um, so that was a huge, uh, wake up call. Um, cause I got my butt kicked pretty, pretty hard by altitude. Um, I think it was just used to ro running on roads and just thinking, you know, you can run kind of the same pace, um, on roads as you could, you know, at seven, 8,000 feet. And I learned right away that you can't do that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A lot of lessons learned. Oh yeah. I mean, every course is different, you know, elevation, vertical you know, gain, all, all those different things. So it's, it seems to be uh, constantly adapting, um, and figuring out, you know, how to, how to move forward. And I mean, even, even to kind of wind up 2018, you did the forest hill uphill challenge one K. So now we're talking like really okay. short distance. So, so you kind of ran the whole, uh, you know, no pun intended, but the whole gamut, um, from, from one end <laughs> to the other. So, so really impressive. Um, yeah. So, you know, as, as you move forward, then, I mean, you're sort of building up, I guess, to that eventual goal, uh, had you already sort of set in your mind, like I am going to do a 100 miler at some point. Um, I think it was in 2019 when I started really kind of looking at doing a hundred miler. Um, I, my mom was in Mississippi and, um, I was looking at Pinhati at the time because it's in Alabama and it's, it's really close to where she lives. Um, and so it's kind of building up and I think I just realized that I wasn't ready. Um, so I ended up not doing a hundred that year and that kind of, you know, um, moved the clock forward to 2020. Um, but yeah, definitely in 2019 was when I really started looking at, um, trying to tackle the hundred mile distance. And so what did you have to do to kind of get yourself trained up for that? You know, maybe you're going to have to change your sort of mental uh, capabilities and, and all of your know, confidence level, all those things. Did you, did you worry about that stuff ahead of time or were you just kind of like, hey, I'm just going to gradually build up and just give it a shot and see what happens. Um, well, I think it was a gradual buildup. Um, after having done a couple hundred Ks, um, especially the first one, I think that's kind of when I felt like it was possible to do one. Um, with that being said, it was more mental. Um, I mean, it was mental that kept me from running one in 2019. Um, and so um, I think in 2019, I ran Beaverhead, I think. And so that was at least it was considered in theory a tougher 100k and so that was kind of a big confidence boost um mentally and so um yeah i think it was just building up confidence uh knowing that you know it's it's something that i could you know at least you know arrive at the start line with 
Um, but as far as the physical buildup, um, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that was tough because there was a lot of fires last year building up to the bear in this area. So um, the physical part wasn't as easy as the mental part. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think um, Mike's going to get into the whole uh, discussion about the bear past, present, future, and all that. Um, and uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Just to yeah. switch over to Rob real quick. Um, just wanted to kind of get a little um, update from you where you've been since, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen you out there on Facebook and other places, but for our audience, like what have you been up to since last year when we talked to you? We know we've done done some races and, and uh, done some other things. You've got a busy career and all that. <laughs> Yeah, keeping busy. I, uh, what, so that was last uh, July. Um, uh, yeah, while the bear last year in 2020. Um, actually, and uh, trying to same thing, uh, kind of as we're talking about trying to train and like navigate like all these changing conditions and smoke and when you can run and when you can't run and just trying to keep getting out there, <laughs> keep fitting it all in. Yeah, such a challenge. And even to the point where you're saving hawks, we hear. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was that was crazy. Uh yeah. Uh, I had to wait 23 years in uh education for a hawk to make its way into a kindergarten classroom in the first week of school <laughs> last week. <laughs> uh, what, what do the kids think about that? I mean, kindergartners like four and five. That, that's a big bird. Yeah, I mean, what was going on? So it was um it was really funny. I was joking about this with uh, a few different teachers that uh like if that would have been a sixth grade classroom, it would have been pandemonium and they would have been screaming and running. And uh, <laughs> and it happened in a kinder room and the little girl that saw it that was sitting kind of closest to the door, it went under her table and she just casually like looked it up, looked at her teacher and was like pointing at the floor. <laughs> And the teacher's like, oh, yeah, okay, something fell on the floor, or maybe one of the kids got down under the table. She kind of goes over and looks, and there's a Cooper's hawk hopping around on the floor there. And uh, it was it was super, for the most part, super calm. <laughs> yeah, they they got up, they walked out of the room. Um, yeah, it was it was it would have been totally different, I think, if it was older kids. They would have lost their minds. <laughs> and five year olds were like, oh wow. <laughs> the, the sad thing is their expectation for school like is not going to live up now their fourth day of school ever a hawk flew into their room right where do you go from that <laughs> what did you do with the hawk uh it had a it had an injured wing um so i uh took it over to the sacramento wildlife care association over like off of mcclellan nice yeah su super good folks there They'll, they take in any wildlife nice yeah. Well, thanks for catching us up on everything. Um, I know uh, Mike's itching to hear a lot about the bears. He mentioned early on. I know there's some other people on the call here that are going to be out there this year as well. So uh, let's dive right in. So the bear 100, uh, if you read the website, it sounds very nice. Actually, it says it's a cool autumn loop through the pines, golden aspen and a red maple. Sounds pretty nice, right? I mean, it that's really why, does. That's why I signed up because it just sounds so relaxing. Uh, but then you get to the part where it says 22,500 feet of vert, max elevation 9,043, average elevation of 7,350. Then you start to wait, like, oh, wait a minute. That's not, doesn't sound so nice, you know? Then it, you know, so it starts in Logan, Utah, and it kind of goes northeast. It ends in 
Bear Lake, Idaho, which is a little town called Fish Haven, which I've never been to, but Google Earth looks like a quaint little fishing village of some sort, you know, with expensive homes. You, there's a couple of different forests that it goes through, the, the Wasatch Cache. <laughs> How do you say it? U Unada National Forest, I think, and the Caribou Terrigi National Forest in Idaho. So it seems pretty nice. I'm excited to get into it. So I want to start with Reggie, and I want to kind of talk about, you know, we talked about this was this first 100. It sounds like you, you were going to do a nice flat one in Alabama, but then you decided, no, I'm not ready for that. I'll wait a year and do something super hard which sounds ridiculous, but so kind of talk about your training. What, I mean, I would see fires. What, what was it about? What were you doing to get ready for that race? Um, let's see here. Um, not as much as I wanted to be honest with you. Um, I did uh, never summer in July of that year. That was probably the best thing I did to get ready. Um, I did a couple night runs, um, I think I did some uh, stagecoach repeats um, once overnight, which was fun. Um, I'll be honest with you, my buildup was not what I expected to be just because there were fires going on. And I usually like to get up to Tahoe to, to train for high altitude races. And so that was a little tough. And then I had some physical stuff going on where I had to take some time off as well. Um, so I definitely didn't have as much of a buildup as, as I would as I would like, which probably sounds kind of reckless considering it's the bear. But I mean, um, I, you know, I just kind of did what I could with, with, with what, you know, I was able to at the time. But um, I think it's just doing a lot of training in Auburn, just some night runs. And um, I, I think the thing that I remember the most is that it wasn't as good of a training block as I wanted it to be, um, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you had a number of 100Ks, and the only difference between that and 100 milers is that at 10 o'clock at night, 9 or 10 o'clock at night, you just start another race, and you run all night. So did all those 100Ks help you out? <clears throat> Mentally, yes, very much so. Um, and most of my 100Ks, to be honest with you, have gone into the night. <laughs> I think I've struggled in, 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 in most of them. But, um, yeah, I think um, kind of connecting – you know, you know, running a hundred K, which even if it goes into the night, it's usually, you know, done early in the evening, um, and doing a night run where I started, I probably started around seven or eight and ran well into the night. Um, I think that definitely helped kind of, you know, practicing, you know, running at nighttime. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I think the advice I got early on about night running is that you don't need to practice night running. It just is night running. I don't know what you guys thought. How about you, Rob? Do you practice running at night or you just say it's just going to be dark and that's it? Pretty much every morning. Um. Oh, that's right. You're in the, the five o'clock crew, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I always, especially if it's a, uh, if it's a warm day, um, it usually takes me kind of a, a little bit of an adjustment to like to switch to from day to night and kind of go, okay, you know, it's time to, time to shift gears, keep going. But, um, once the sun is down and the headlamp comes on, a lot of times I feel like, okay, that's my element. Um, and I usually, usually the first few, uh, Rob has to practice day running. That's true. <laughs> I don't even know what cardiac looks like in sunlight. Um. Uh, yeah, that's, I think you're right. I think about 11 o'clock, it seems between like 11 and three, 
go pretty well. It's kind of exciting. You're in the groove. It's it's getting dark. You feel like you're up late. Uh, you know, it feels pretty good until you get to about three when it starts. You start to get tired. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Reggie experienced this last year with um, like with no other races happening. Um, I, I know I got a few long runs in, like you know, over 30, 30 to forty miles or something, but not much. Like no, um, you know, no like couple of fifty mile races or something in the training block leading up to it. That that I think led to me being in not as good a shape last year for the bear as I was the year before. Yeah, well, it sounds like Reggie did that. You did. You said you did uh, Never Summer 100K. So that kind of in Colorado would. Does that have high elevation? Oh yeah, was that twenty twenty also? Yeah, it's twenty twenty. So I, I I was very fortunate that that race um, actually went forward, also with the bear as well. But um, yeah, a lot of other races in Colorado did get canceled, and that happened to be the one that didn't. And so um, yeah, that was a pretty good tune-up for the bear for me. Probably the biggest tune-up I, I ended up getting during my uh, train block. Nice. Yeah. I've looked at that race. It looks really cool. It is. You should do it. Yeah. I don't know much about it, but definitely I've heard of it. it looks uh, so as far as pacers and crew, Reggie, what was your plan there? Um, I did not have pacers or crew. Um I don't usually use, I, I, I don't do pacers at all. Um, I had a, um, I, I, I had hope my, uh, would get my mom to come out, but, um, she wasn't able to make it out. So I ended up just, um, running solo for, so for me, the big thing was just planning drop bags, um, um, which was a little tough because, um, that ended up being a little bit different than than normal. Actually, I think it was easier. I think they had drop bags at more aid stations than they normally do. Is is that true, Rob? Um, I think so. I'm trying to remember because they the crew access was a lot more limited uh, than normal. Right. And I right. think that, I can't remember which ones, but I think they did add drop bags at a couple. Yeah. So um, we had more aid stations available for drop bags, but that kind of just meant that you had to be a little more strategic about what was going to go in what drop bag, which um, was fun to kind of plan. And of course, it's never perfect. Um, I I can tell you personally that I probably didn't have my headlamp in the right drop bag. Um, I kind of got caught in the dark. But um, yeah, that was a big thing for me, just having my drop bag situated um, since I didn't have any crew. And Rob, how was your drop bags and your crew? Um, last year, pretty. I think um, I had crew at, at Tony Grove, which is like mile 51. Uh, there's not going to be crew or that. There's like a little detour around that because they can't access it, I think, this year. Um, but that one, last year, the weather was um, pretty, it was really mild, pretty warm. Um, so depending on the weather, like, Tony Grove is a, is a pretty key spot. Um, if you're going to need night gear, um, the year 20, 2019, um, it was really nice during the day. And then around 11, 12 o'clock at night, it started raining. Um, and then it like rained all night, all morning. Um, and it was like a good cold rain, like, you know, 35 degrees. Um, so like for that, Tony Grove was super key, like to get warm clothes. I, 
you definitely would be hypothermic if you left there without. I think I am. Um, I know I had like a puffy jacket and tights and a, and a Houdini to throw over the puffy jacket. And I, I wore all of it that time. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that sounds wonderful. That's very <laughs> exciting. I love cold 35 degree rain. Jessica knows this is my favorite thing. Cold rain. God, I can't get enough of that. The, the other piece I'll tell you, like, um, I, I've never been a huge uh, one to run with poles. Um, and when uh, when it started raining there, it's really like the, there's a lot of clay soil. It just turned to grease mud. Um, and when it, so it started raining for me, uh, it started raining after Franklin Basin, which was uh, about like mile 65. Um and I didn't have poles. I had left poles in my drop bag at um, at the lodge at mile 75. So it was like um, about 10 miles of just super, super slippery mud. I stopped counting how many times I fell. Um, and pull, when I did get poles at the lodge, it made a huge difference. Like I stopped falling. Hmm. So we're ready. How about, uh, well, first of all, drop bags. I'm going to be talking to you because I'm going to be planning some drop bags. Uh, so I need to have some strategy there. But uh, how about poles for you, Reggie? You think that was, uh, did you use poles? It was your first hundred. So did you have poles? Um, well, Rob brings up a really good point about the weather at that race. Um, so when we ran it last year, um, it was a pretty good year for weather. And so I don't think you need poles if it's not raining, but in all the research that I did building up to the race, um, what I kind of got out of it is if it rains, you need poles, um, even when it's like flat, um, because it gets really, really muddy and really hard to just get footing. Um, so I think it's just really important to make sure you know what you're going to expect from a weather perspective um, on race day. Um, but in my opinion, if the weather is good, you don't need poles. But everybody's different. How about your shoe, your shoe choice? I mean, see, you know, if you're wearing an old pair of shoes, that's not going to be as need some good fresh, fresh grip. Yeah. So I wear speed goats. I'm a little bit more limited with my shoe choice because I have to wear a wide size. Um, so I, I usually wear speed goats. Um, I think I changed my shoes at mile 75. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I definitely had um, a couple pair of shoes and drop bags um, to change into if need be. Right. And uh, probably you, Rob, what's your shoe of choice for the bear? Um, I, let's see, I run speed goats a lot too. Um, I have a weird thing with speed goats that, um, Sometimes, but not all the time, I get like um, between like my uh, between my toes, I get like this nerve pain. I don't know what it is. I think last year I did last year I didn't change shoes. I think I ran the whole thing uh, in a pair of speed goats. Um, Twenty nineteen, the the rain year, um, or they were calling it the bipolar bear. Uh, I think I heard because Friday was super nice. After midnight, it was kind of miserable. <laughs> um, I ran, I, I changed shoes also when I got poles at mile 75. And um, 
I had been wearing speed goats and then I changed into um, some Brooks Cascadias that were like new with a little better tread for mud. Honestly, like that, the way the mud was though, I, shoe tread didn't really matter that much. Yeah, I don't seem to change shoes on a long race often. So is it, are you changing them because they're wet and muddy? Is that why you would think to change them or because they're just, they're getting flat and you want something fresh? Um, mine were a little worn, so they weren't, um, they weren't super fresh tread anyway. Um, I felt like maybe that was contributing to it. Um, I usually though, I don't really change shoes. I, I, if I run it in speed goats, I usually try to have something available at some point because every once in a while they do bother my feet, but sometimes they're fine. Sometimes I go the whole way. <laughs> and how about Reggie? What do you think about like, why are you changing your shoes? Um, well, in that race, I had some issues with um, the way my toes were feeling. Um, so I changed my socks and I changed my shoes. I just figured at the time a fresh pair of socks and shoes was going to help a little bit. And it, it, it did help a little bit. I probably would have been just as fine just staying in what I had. But at the time, I just figured, why not, you know? Um, they were in my drop bag, so I just kind of went with it. Yeah, I think it's a good plan to just always bring a pair of shoes because you never know a shoe is going to have a problem. Something's going to, and if you ever put on a first pair of shoes, I've done it once and it just feels so, you get so happy. Just that feeling <laughs> of a, a warm sock and a, and a dry shoe. Oh man, you, that's a good 20 miles of just pure joy. Yeah, sometimes just like a different type of shoe, it it just changes the foot strike. Like it just makes you feel like it's just different. And at some point there, you need different. Yeah, that's a good plan. Just put them in the drop bag. I would add to um, just like any for me. Uh, I think that the bear and um, well, I ran Vermont 2015, and um, it rained in the evening there and. Any, any time there's going to, like, you're, if you're going to have wet feet, I like to have some dry socks available. Uh, I think after 2015, I started, um, I throw a pair of dry socks in every drop bag. 90% of the time I don't use them, but when you want them and you don't have them, it's, <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah. How about the creek crossings? Are there any creek crossings? There's one, is it the 69 eight station? Um, yeah. Uh, Logan Creek. And <laughs> there's some rocks that you can actually traverse over um, so you don't have to get wet. Um, and I remember because I slipped off the rocks and fell in the water. Um, but um, yeah, you can definitely get through um, without getting wet. Um, and I think that's the only uh, crossing I remember. That's the only one if it's dry. Yeah, I mean, if it- Right, right. Yeah. If it's wet, you're gonna be wet anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, so. So good, good poles, a set of poles, good backup of shoes, socks and you're in your drop bags, night gear, which you're talking, uh, you know, a puffy jacket and then a shell to go over that to be waterproof. And I saw some of your photos. You just wore tights at night. Last year, I just wore shorts. Um, it was pretty mild. The only um, Gibson basin at like mile 80, about 80 to 83 is um, around like eight, a little over 8,000 feet, but it's like a, a higher, higher elevation cold air sink. And um, 
it's always it seems to be the coldest spot on the course. Yep. Yeah. Last year that was the only place I was kind of cold. Same here. Okay. And it was it gets windy too there. That's what it was for me. It was just is super windy it's it's beautiful you're in this meadow and i stopped to take pictures which was a huge mistake because it was cold and i wasn't moving um so i got really cold but um yeah that's that was the only place that i ever got cold the whole race yeah uh it's double track around the meadow there for a few miles yeah uh, and 2019 like after raining all night the double track was all like three or four inches deep of water that you're just slot you're either like sloshing through off of it in the grass or you're sloshing through the double track like a few inches of water uh you know if i wasn't already excited i am just more excited now (laughs) (laughs) so reggie what does your night gear look like are you a guy that likes you 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 need to be warm or you just run hot or what are you wearing shorts or what um i had shorts too i think i had a long sleeve shirt but um, I usually don't get cold as long as I'm moving. So, um, and it, like Rob said, it wasn't a cold year. Um, so it wasn't really much different than um, my day gear. Um, I definitely packed um, a uh, base layer um, and I had a waterproof jacket um, just ready to go just in case. But um yeah, I, I I dressed the same way I did for the daytime last year. Um, but this is definitely a race to overpack. Um, so, like I said, I had a base layer and a jacket ready to go if I needed it. And uh, I bought a pair of Cortex gloves for Cocodona. Didn't need them, but, you know, as far as like waterproof gloves, you guys weren't any gloves at night or anything? I don't think so. I didn't um, last year. Um, actually, right before the race, 2019, um, I bought a pair of fleece gloves that were lifesavers. Mm-hmm. I would my hands would have frozen without those. <laughs> yeah, like Reggie doesn't know when you go slower, you get colder. So I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, strategy. We talked about training, Rob, on the, on the course. You know, what is what you say that maybe walk through what's the hardest part of the course? I know it starts with a pretty big climb right off the bat. Uh, what, what, where was the most challenging part for you? Um, you know, the climb off the bat, I don't know if like Reggie kind of say the same, like you're fresh, you feel good, like it's a hike, it's switchbacks. Like, I mean, it's you're going from 4,600 feet up to 9,000, um, but it's really not that bad. Um, I think for me, probably one of the toughest ones is um, out of Temple Fork, like mile 46 up to 50. Um, it, it's about a 20, 2,700 feet of elevation gain over like four miles. Um, and it's at a point where it's like, for me anyway, um, you're through most of the day and it's like the, it's gonna, it, it's gonna get dark somewhere on that climb. And, uh, so it's already been kind of a long day. And then just that like four miles of fairly steep climbing is, it can feel a little disheartening. Mm. I don't know if Reggie felt any of that one. What do you say, Reg? Um, 
that was definitely a low point just more because I was having some issues taking down nutrition. Um, but I think mentally I kind of, um, maybe over prepared for that section, knowing basically exactly what Rob said. Um, there's a lot of climbing. It's the middle of the race. It's about when it's going to get dark. Um, all that stuff kind of, you know, is a pretty, pretty, pretty powerful punch. Um, but for me that I felt like the toughest part of the course was the last downhill. Um, just with it being, uh, I think it's like 3000 feet of descending and, uh, it's pretty steep at parts and it you're over 90 miles into the race. So your legs are just, they're, they're gone. And, um, it's beautiful too. You see bear Lake below you. It looks like it's right below you. It looks like you could just dive into the lake. You almost have to balance between looking at the view and making sure you don't trip and fall. Um, because it's it's pretty steep and it's it's downhill for i think what four or five miles maybe so um yeah. to me that was the toughest section and it, so as if it was rain and that year it rained rob how was that descent on that rain year uh, it was brutal <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were parts of it that weren't bad but um you when you leave ranger dip the last aid station at 92 um you have a good steep climb. It's um, actually, it's about the same as what cardiac is. It's like six, a little under 700 feet and a little less than a mile. It's an ATV trail, so it's not technical, but it was pretty slippery in the rain. And then while well, the rain year, for me, uh, it pretty much hailed and thunder and light. There was thunder and lightning going down that. So like <laughs> I had a headache from a hail hitting my head. <laughs> And I was just like, kind of thinking like, if I'm going to get struck by lightning, I'm sure going to be mad if it was like at mile 98, like I wish it would have been mile five, if that's going to happen. Yeah. You don't want to suffer 98 miles and then not finish because you're hit by lightning. Dude, the scenery, like Reggie said, I mean, cause you, you start the descent in um, Aspen. And so like everything's yellow cause it's, you know, everything's turned for fall. And then as you get a little further down, you get into red maples, like everything has changed to red maple. Um, and then you see um, Bear Lake way down below and it's like this really pretty emerald green. It looks like a glacial lake. Um, and so like the, the, view, the scenery on the way down is awesome. And some sections were not crazy slippery. Uh, how are, uh, I know here in the canyon in the fall, we get a lot of bugs especially like seems like September and October, you know, is our worst period of time. So how was, how was all the bugs and insects just a general. I don't remember any bugs. Same. Oh, I saw good. a snake, but we see plenty of snakes here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny about the descent because we all run in Tahoe enough. We've seen the views of Tahoe, but if you've not run in, it's like running in Tahoe for the first time. You were, you're just amazed by it. So I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully I, I can see through the tears. I can actually see some views. So how is the food? Because I am a big fan of food. Rob, what do you think? Uh, I, I tend to, um, uh, I don't know. So it's, I, I tend to go mostly with my own food from drop bags. Um, 
So I don't know if I'm the best person. To well, I will say the thing, the aid station food I enjoyed the most, uh, hash browns at uh, Gibson Basin. Mm. That sounds good. I think I've had tater tots before. So I forget where. Yeah, so I got to Gibson Basin right as um, it was getting light. So they had, um, they give you this foil wrapped with bacon, uh, French toast stick, hash browns, and um, um, something else I don't remember. But it's basically breakfast. And man, that hit the spot. I'd never had that in an ultra before. I was like, man, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, I I, uh, I barbecued uh, some dried tofu and threw that in my drop bags at Cali Canyon. That was pretty good. I'm seeing some heads shaking. <laughs> Thumbs up from Greg. All right. Um, other than that, I mean, I thought that, I mean, I'm kind of like Rob. I, I, I usually just um, use my own stuff, but... Um, normal aid station fare like it's not lacking in any way shape or form um i don't know about fireball i don't know what people think about fireball i know a lot of people here like that i didn't see any alcohol on the course but i wasn't looking for any either so um was there was there any um uh dave david thomas um from the Bay Area is asking if there's any was there any memorable aid station at night that you remember I'm guessing, I'm not too familiar with the course, but is that the one that gave you the hash browns? Was that at nighttime? It was um, in the morning for me. Yeah, it was in the morning for me. That was what around mile 80, I think. Yeah, I think some of the charts say 83, but it's more like 80, 80 right before 81 because they moved So it last year, I think they moved it closer. Um, so it was around mile 80, but um, it'll probably go back to 83 this year. So I have a question. There's so many people who have done this race so many times. Why? What's the why? Tell me why. What's the why? <laughs> <laughs> it, I don't know. <laughs> it is, that it is, is not a good answer. <laughs> it is really pretty and it's different from what we normally run in. Mm -hmm. That's, what, that's kind of what I experienced at Waldo. Like I felt like it was half Tahoe, half Forest Hill, and it wasn't anything like we've had. So the appeal to go back is really strong. Reggie, are you going back? I would like to go back. Um, I won't be going back this year, but um, hopefully in the future. But just to add to that, I've obviously only done it once, but um, I mean, it's the bear. It's not an easy race. It's tough. Um, but I mean, the ascents, I mean, there's some big climbs, there's some big descents, but they're not like crazy, crazy steep. And there's a lot of, a lot of the races on, um, like Rob was saying, like the two-way roads and it's wide terrain. So, I mean, if you're kind of scaling it against some of the other races that are considered hard hundreds, um, I think it's, it's not as bad as people seem to think it is and so um that combined with the beauty it's it's a really beautiful course um it, it's it's hard not to come back um so yeah and then for anyone who's not listening or not familiar with the bear at all is uh the bear a western states qualifier 
It is a Western States and Hard Rock qualifier. And how many people usually run the race? I think they I, cap at 350. 350? Yeah. Awesome. And what's the cutoff for that race? 36. Yeah, 36 hours. Wonderful. Um, so you guys have spent almost an hour with us. We have a foot on the screen, so that's really exciting too. Um, <laughs> I have um, a couple... We have one more question. Samantha is wondering, did either one of you guys use gators or would that be helpful for that race? I did not. Um, and I didn't need them. If it was raining, I probably would have had them though. Yeah, I, I didn't use gators. It's, um, I mean, it's a lot of ATV. There's single track, and but a lot of ATV trail and double track. And it's not... Um, not super gravelly, which is where I would tend to use gaiters, you know, if I'm going to kick stuff into my shoes. Um, I didn't have any issues with that. And then um, does anyone have a buckle? What did you get at the end? I have one in the other room. Um, I might want to see it. <laughs> just, uh, just a second. Oh, Reggie's got it. Nice. Nice. They do, uh, well, they do three different buckles. Oh, that's so cool. They do three different, different yeah. colors. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do the Wolverine. If you're under 24 hours, which I had, I don't know about you guys, but I have no hope at that. Uh, <laughs> and then they do uh, the grizzly bear from 24 hours to 30 hours. And then the black bear from uh, 30 to 36. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like such a good race. I've got all the nitty gritty details out of the way for everyone. Um, now I have some rapid fire questions just to end our show. I'll ask you both them. They're pretty silly, pretty fun. Um, but just so people can get to know you just a little bit more. Are you guys ready? Ready. Ready. Okay. Reggie, what is your preferred terrain road or trail? Trail. Rob? Trail. Reggie, what is your favorite post-race meal? Um, some kind of beef, either steak or tri-tip. Oh, okay. What about you, Rob? Um, usually not a lot right away. Um, but <laughs> some type of burrito or toaster oven waffles. With anything on them? Uh, syrup and earth balance. There you go. Bucket list race, Reggie. Hi, Lonesome. Awesome. Rob? Um, I have kicked around Bighorn and never signed up, so I would put that on there. All right. Sounds good. And then this is a really big question. You guys probably both know it, but Reggie, cats or dogs? Dogs. Rob? Cats in the wild, dogs in uh, at home. <laughs> You don't, you don't get to do both. <laughs> you don't get to walk the line here. No. All right. <laughs> Hands down, dogs. Tell Omar I'm sorry, Casey. <laughs> Omar, oh, man, anyone who's not, who's listening to us, hop on our Zoom. Casey usually is Omar, and I love my cats, but I am Omar's number one fan, so that's pretty awesome. Um, we spent an hour with you guys. We're so super thankful. Again, anyone watching or listening, if you want to kick down a couple bucks, just $1 a month to our Patreon, we'll make sure to link it in our episode show notes and on our live, um, our live feeds tonight. 
thank you guys so much. Uh, we're so happy that you guys are both here. Good luck, Rob. Thanks. For another bear. And Good oh, luck, and, yeah. And hey, Rob, congratulations on Castle Peak. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Just before we cut off, that was a little bit of a redemption run, right? It absolutely was. Eked that one out barely with nine minutes to spare. <laughs> oh man, that's. I mean, I watched you all day. It it was stressful for me. So. <laughs> I felt like I was managing it. I actually had fun. Like I was managing it okay. I only had like maybe a couple hours that I would say weren't fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was a rough day for a lot of people out there. So congratulations. Thanks. Um, good luck for anything else you guys have going on. And we will see you guys on the trails. Bye. Bye guys. Awesome. Thanks, you guys.